Thanks, John. <coughs> Use a sound check. Can you hear that? Great. Mary, is that clear? Thank you. Sometimes, um, could you keep open your Bible? And we're going to be looking at the parable of the sower. That's what we just had read to us. Thank you, Lisa. That's great. Come and do it again. If I get stuck, I'm going to ask you to read a bit more. Um, parables. You know what a parable is, don't you? It's when Jesus takes something familiar and puts it alongside something unfamiliar and hopes that the familiar will help you understand the unfamiliar. And so because there's two things side by side like that, there's always this kind of, how do they interrelate? What's it driving at? It's always done in a slightly poetic way. So for those of you who love maths, there's no one-to-one correlation. You've got to work at it. What was Jesus driving at? And it's not sometimes immediately clear. So that's the question today. Here's a familiar story for most of us. We know it. How can we find out what it really meant the first time out? Where do we start? Well, I'd like to suggest here in this, I'm going to suggest that we do, um, as we go along, I'm going to give you top tips uh, just to see if they help. Whenever you get a parable and you're not quite sure what it's about, here's one of the ways to begin to make a good start. Ask yourself, who is the audience? Who is Jesus speaking to? Often it's people outside, but sometimes it's his disciples. More often than not, it's outside. And it's the kind of person that Jesus is speaking to which will help us when we interpret this slightly open-ended figure of speech called a parable. Okay, it's very easy, I think, to read our own ideas into the text. So let's, as it were, work hard and see Now, if we're going to start with the text, what I'd like to suggest is, if we want to understand this parable there in Luke chapter 8, first of all, we better read Luke. Okay? So let's start with the really big picture, and then we're going to zoom in, click, 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 down to there. So there's the big picture. That's the whole of Luke's gospel in uh, five squares. How about that? Yeah? If you just get those five squares, you've done Luke's gospel. Should we move on? We just want a little more time to look at it. The arrival of Jesus, the first four chapters. Then the ministry of Jesus in Galilee, chapters 4 to 9. The journey to Jerusalem, which is quite a long journey, you can see, went from 9 to 19. Then there's Passion Night. That was when Jesus was arguing in the temple and eventually was um, taken to the court and eventually crucified. And then finally the resurrection stories in Luke 24. Just those five bits. Okay? And the bit we're looking at, Luke chapter 8, comes here in the Galilee, the second section. Now, what really helps is this. Do you know that in the, the Holy Land, Galilee is up here and Jerusalem is down there? Did you know that? They're two different places. Jerusalem and Judea is down here. Then there's an in-between place called Samaria. And then there's a place called Galilee. And Jesus used to go up and down, a bit like a yo-yo, really. And his ministry begins in Galilee, not around Jerusalem. Because Galilee was the kind of place where All the conflict and the debates and arguments of Jerusalem hadn't started yet. Galilee was the place where Jesus could just talk about the kingdom of God, proclaim it, and people could say, oh yeah, what's that about? And they could ask questions and things. So in a sort of way, people were more open there. They they were puzzled. They wanted to know more. What is this about? So Galilee, the place where people were curious, is where Jesus tells this parable. Bear that in mind as we go on. So let's zoom down. If we go down to that little section, Luke 4 to 9, and that has section in it again. 
Um, the public ministry begins in Luke 4, then it goes on to 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. Now, the interesting thing about this is, if you get a chance to do it, um, you can start building a picture of the progression there. But actually, perhaps I ought to ask a, a question first. Has any... No, how do I ask this without upsetting anybody? Okay. How many people here have read a book? Thank you. Therefore, you've read books. How, how many people have read a book that big? You're showing off. How many have read a book that big? Who finished War and Peace? No way. <laughs> right. Okay. How many have read a book that thick? Okay. So how many here, and I don't want any hands up, this is the point where I say, just say to yourself quietly, how many here have ever sat down and just read the gospel like a story from beginning to end? A book just that thick. I'm staggered how many Christians haven't done it. So when we began by looking at Luke, it's only 24 chapters. You can do it between breakfast and getting dressed, for some of us, or perhaps you know a bit longer, depends what you're putting on. It isn't very long, but it helps so much. And we've been given, do you know, this is food. This is wonderful, rich food. And we have it here. And some people, they, they peck at it a little bit here and there. Beep, beep, beep. And they miss this great sweep, the story. So there we are. We've read this great big book. And now we're coming down to these chapters. And for me, the thing that strikes me about this is here. In Luke chapter 4, we get Jesus going into a synagogue, which was like a very small church. Well, a church this size, perhaps a bit smaller. And there were people, a bit smaller probably. And people gathered around listening to him. Then after that, he went... To, G, to Peter's mother-in-law, who, um, do you remember she was ill? Do you remember that one? Yeah? And Peter let Jesus in, and he said, you know, my mother-in-law is not very well. By the way, those of you who are interested in Peter's marital status, there's your answer. It's not on your mind, leave it, put it on one side. Uh, Peter said to Jesus, my mother-in-law's not there. So Jesus went up, what did he do? Do you remember? That's right. And made her well. That's right, she got up and she cooked supper. Now that's great, isn't it? Don't you think? Jesus heals somebody and they immediately, they're well enough to help. So, and do you know what happened then? The news got out and after supper, knock, knock, then? Yeah. Somebody, in fact, quite a few people turned up and said, we hear there's been a healing here. And uh, they said, yes. Well, we've got somebody here. Can Jesus come and heal them? And there was a little crowd gathered outside the front door. So we had a few people in synagogue. Then a few more came to Jesus. Then Jesus, in Luke 5, he calls them on to, collect, uh, to make disciples. And they start going around. Then in Luke 6, 12, uh, 12 apostles, they go down on what's called the Sermon on the Plain. They had a big sort of meeting, public uh, preach. Then Luke 7, it builds again. And then by Luke 8... The crowds are getting really big by now. And by the end of Luke 9, the crowd was 5,000, plus the women. That was just the men. So that probably means, um, if it's anything like in this country where the women seem to outnumber the men by a little number, that's probably a crowd of approaching 10,000 or more. So what we've got developing through this time in Galilee is increasing number of people coming to Jesus. More and more and more. They'd heard and they came from all over the place. They really wanted to know what it was about. Okay. Well, that's what that tells us. And that progression is really important because when we come now to look at our passage, this is what we find. 
Jesus is traveling around. Okay, there you are in Luke 8. Then he goes on, and the large crowd gathers, and so Jesus tells them a parable. Jesus looked round, and who is the audience then for his parable? So I tell you what, should we, let's divide this up. Should we say that those who are in the, the back half, do you want just to help the people in the front who are still thinking? <laughs> and then we'll reverse it. So the, the first audience who listened to this parable, for whom Jesus gave it, was who? Anybody. That's right, the crowds. The, this whole mass of people. And Jesus said, and then we have the parable. And he started by saying that a farmer went out to sow. And he sprinkled the seed on the ground. And there were four kinds of ground. Do you remember? The first, he sprinkled, what were they? Okay, well, he had the path where people walked. The trouble with the path is you, you stamp it down, don't you? So any seed there would just lie there, and guess what? Any bird coming by saying, oh, that's supper, and then off it go, finished. Where else did the seed fall? The rocks, yeah? A rocky, rocky piece. So if a seed does germinate there, there's not enough depth to keep it going. Where else? Sorry? Yeah, I'm going deaf. I heard there's a noise over here. Did you hear it? Yes, thorns, that's right. This, this plant got going and then the weeds overcame it. And then there was, what was the last one? The good soil. Now, do you see there are four soils? And a lot of people I have, for, until I was preparing today, I, I always thought there were four kinds of responses. Deary me, that means three quarters of Jesus' preaching didn't work. Do you see? But actually I thought, get on. Farmers had huge fields of soil, good soil, and it's around the edge there was a path or a bit of rock there or some weeds over there. The bulk of this field was good soil. And if you walked around in the harvest period, you'd see crops standing there just waiting to be plucked. So this is not saying there was Jesus had a little impact or whatever the word only had a little impact. Jesus was saying, look at this fruitful stuff. Now this should tell you something. So what was he actually trying to say to those, those people who, who came, the crowd? Well, let's see. In a parable, we work, as I said at the beginning, it's the familiar alongside the unfamiliar, illuminating it. The interesting thing is that in a bit, the disciples asked Jesus what it meant, and Jesus then explained something to them. But that was a different audience, and the same parable can work with different audiences. And I'd like to suggest tonight there are three audiences who are going to be considering this parable. First is the crowd, second are the disciples then, and third are the readers of the gospel, that includes you and me. So let's just do that. First, the crowd. What do you think they saw? They heard Jesus saying, there's this farmer, lads and lasses, and he told the story. And then do you know what he did? He walked off. And they're going, what did he say? What was all that about? What? Pardon? Because most of the parables Jesus spoke were there to tease. And he didn't explain them. He left people to think about them. And I think actually quite a few preachers, I think in the, in, in the trade they would say, spoiler alert, quite a few preachers rush 
to give you a, what, a story, a, an explanation of what it's about, when you haven't had to live with the uncertainty and try to figure it out for yourself. What was Jesus driving at? I'll bet you they went home, some of those people, and they were saying, I haven't the faintest idea what it was all about. Well, it was about farming. Yeah, I know, but my uncle's a farmer, so what? And so people would argue and debate and discuss. And the disciples were just in the same boat as the crowd, so they came to say, Jesus, excuse me, Jesus said, could you tell us what it's about? And he has to go on and explain it. So what we've got at first, we've got a puzzle to make you think it was deliberately open-ended. Well, let's turn to the second audience, the disciples. Now, they'd been invited to follow Jesus. They hadn't just turned up. They'd been specially chosen. What could it have meant to them? And Jesus says to the disciples, ah, now this is where you need to do just a little bit of homework. He said, do you remember Isaiah? Oh, yes, they said. He was a great prophet from the old days. Do you remember when God called Isaiah? Yes, they said. Do you remember what God said to his prophet? He said, go and prophesy. And he said, yes. And your prophesying, your speaking to those people in those days will stop them from understanding. And Isaiah said, what? Yes, said God. Your preaching will stop their understanding. Okay, said Isaiah, if that's what you want me to do, he did. And now, the same thing's happening. Jesus is saying to the disciples, what is this? Just like Isaiah, if we preach, if I preach, what I find is that some people come and some people go. My preaching seems to have a double effect. For some people, it confirms they're not interested. And for others, it wakes up something that they want to come. And it doesn't. It, now, if that is the case, don't you think that's a bit unfair? Don't you think? It's almost as if, uh, well, who knows which category I'm in? I can't understand it. Oh, you must be one of those who are just not for it. <laughs> oh, I've got the message. Oh, you're one of those who's in and not one of those who's out. <laughs> well, it isn't quite like that. But actually, there are times when some of the hard sayings make you think twice. I would like to suggest that the disciples have learned that they must make sure they don't miss out what Jesus is talking about and is preaching. Well, let's see. Here's a little tip again. Biblical truths are so big, we can rarely summarize them in one sentence. So what you need are several sentences. And sometimes the way to do it is to try and introduce uh, perspectives or points of view. When God said to the people in Isaiah's day, and Jesus found in his day, that the preaching of the good news of the kingdom closed their minds. From God's perspective, that's what God saw and he said, it will happen. When the people were being challenged by the prophets, both by Jesus and by Isaiah and Jeremiah and the others, they said to them, this is the time to make up your mind. Do you want to follow God? Do you want to go his way? Make up your mind. You can choose today. And so what we've got to do, we've got two points of view. From God's point of view, this is God saying, my word will actually close some ears. And for, for people's point of view, his word opens it. So how does all this hang together? Well, I suggest it's like this, if I could put it in one sentence. God confirms what you 
already think. God confirms what you already think. And in the Bible, that's called judgment. So, if you think, I don't want anything to do with God, God says, okay, if that's really what you mean, I will try and persuade you against that, but if that is really, really what you want, I will respect it. And if somebody else says, I really, I want to go all out for God, God says, I will respect that, and I'll work with it. And if, and here's most of us, if you, if some, you say, do you know, I'd love to know more about this, but I just can't find it angry. If I, I've just got the teeniest little bit of faith, Jesus says, that's fine. That little bit of faith is all I need to work on. And I will bless it. And you will see, just like in my parable, that you will be fruitful in a way you couldn't imagine. Now, I don't know about you. Um, when I started out as a Christian, um, I, wasn't, I was full of enthusiasm like some of you are, and some of the musicians are, clearly, um, full of enthusiasm and life and all that. Um, and there was a guy called Billy Graham around. Do you remember Billy Graham? Some of you, you heard of him, great preacher. And I used to think, well, I'll be like that. I, that was my idea, not God's. But I thought, you know, I was that keen to do stuff. But actually, inside, I realized that um, my faith was little, just a tiny little shoot. And it was others who nurtured me and helped it to grow. So I think what the parable is saying is that there is a chance for those who have the teeniest little bit of faith because Jesus sees that and says, I will confirm it, however little it is. So what does that mean? We have three audiences. What does the parable mean for us? Well, there we, I would suggest we've just summarised it for you. Jesus comes looking for us and invites us to follow him. And that's true for everybody here. Secondly, Jesus builds on the smallest bit of faith he finds. And then Jesus' word of truth and power sets us free. We, we're only doing Luke 8. If you look at the end of Luke 8 and onto Luke 9, you'll see Jesus does some amazing things because he realizes that all these words are just words. Until you see Jesus at work, they're just words. When I was a mission partner in Africa, I worked in a, period, a place where there was a civil war going on. And I have to say, it was a real civil war. It was a bit like, a, I don't know if you've seen it, Saving Private Ryan or Hacksaw Ridge. I don't know if you've ever been. It was a genuine war zone. And I was the pastor to the missionaries. And I went into one area to try and, as it were, get a missionary family out of a hospital in Uganda, just before the rebels' army moving up the hill with mortars and machine gun fire were going to overrun the hospital. And I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I went in and I found the wife, the mother of these children, making bread. And I said, um, don't you think it's time to move out? Well, she said, I don't know. And I said, the bullets go like this all over. They'd really do go like that when they go by you. So we got them out. And we got them right back up onto a ridge, and we saw the army go along the road. And as it went along, they looked up at us, and they shot at us. Now, fortunately, they were a quarter of a mile away. So you saw this little flash of light, and everybody ducked, and then you hear, over the top. And I have to say, it was not funny. It was absolutely quite frightening. Um, the, the, when you have a civil war, all law and order disappears. 
There's nobody to enforce it. The police have run away. The army are the ones in control. They have guns. And I remember coming home one night in Uganda, coming over a brow of the hill, and there was the worst of all situations. A, a, a great big lorry, which had come from the brewery, full of beer, had been stopped by the army. They'd either chased the driver, he was nowhere to be seen, and there was this army unit getting drunk at 10 o'clock, full with army, and then along comes a vehicle, and they think, hello, more? And it was uh, touch and go. Fortunately, I got out, and the officer realized, because I was a European, that this might have ramifications if they, in inverted commas, did me over. And they waved me by, and it was extremely tense. So after a, a period of this, uh, the Lord was great, but I was worn out. And I came back to this country, and I said, Lord, I've done all this for you, but really, I'm just completely exhausted, emotionally drained. Um, but the reason I knew it was because uh, I was... Uh, have, you, have you seen those films like... Um, diehard and stuff, where there are these car chases, do you know? Well, I, I was nearly carjacked by a, a, a car that pulled up alongside as I was driving along, pointed this pistol straight at me, and they said, stop, we want to steal your car. So I slowed down, and I thought, he's not having this car. And driving is one of my hobbies. So I then changed into third, and off we went. And he came behind me, his lights flashing, leaning out with his pistol, saying, stop. And I thought, how do I get, how do I get rid of him? So we, I thought, right, I'm going to drive into the city to the police station. So we drove into Kampala, which is the capital city, like London or Birmingham, probably, that size. With this man behind, waving flashes light and a gun, and we were weaving. I mean, if we filmed it, you'd have thought, isn't that brilliant? And when we slowed, and we did the usual thing. You know, it's all blocked, the traffic's in front of you, so you go over the central reservation, and on you go. And we got to the police station, and uh, they peeled off, because they realised that there were people there with guns. I... And I realized, Lord, I used to think this was all right, and now I'm completely frightened by this. I'm, I'm empty. I'm running on empty. So I came back and w went to a conference where uh, people were praying for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit and refreshed with the Holy Spirit. But a guy called John Wimber was doing it. And it was amazing that I saw God doing things in people's lives. And I realized that actually this is not about words. It's not about a quiz. Do you know what the parable of the sower is about? These words are pointing to a reality. Jesus wants to make a difference in your life and mine. And he's just looking for the tiniest bit of faith. He says, that's all I'd like, and I will work with you, and I'll bless you, and you will do things you don't believe you could possibly do. That was the parable. I'd like to suggest, that as I found, seeing Jesus at work encouraged me and helped me get going again, it might be so for you. If I was to draw it all together, I'd like to draw it together in a hymn we're going to sing in a minute, because there's a guy called Charles Wesley who, when he became a Christian, was so moved by discovering Jesus, he wrote the hymn called And Can It Be? So some of you know that, yeah? And in this, he's got this wonderful verse. If I could just read this one verse here. We're going to sing it in a minute. But... Uh, this is Charles Wesley describing the difference Jesus makes. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. The picture is of a prison cell. Then your eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon I was in flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed thee. And now no condemnation now I dread. 
Charles Wesley wrote that, having just become a Christian. And you know, his brother John Wesley was helped by that. Three days later, he became a Christian. And they were the ones who started the Methodist Church. Would you believe it? Long my prison. That's the difference Jesus makes. So what I'd like to suggest to you is, would you like to think about just offering to Jesus the little bit of faith you've got and the lots of faith you haven't got and saying, Lord, I'm just me. And listen and let Jesus say to you, and I think you're great. No, Lord, I'm a useless Christian. And Jesus says, with me you won't be. Lord, you, you know what I was like. Last week I just messed up. I let, you know, if you're young people at school, you got tangled up in some argument and slang it off some person and cheating in your homework or lying about way, all that stuff. And Jesus says, listen, I know, and I think you're all right. If you really knew what I was like, Lord, Jesus says, I do, <laughs> and I think you're great. Come to me and let me change your life more. Walk with me. Don't do it on your own. And we will find that your dungeon will flame with light, just Charles Wesley did. I think the parable of the sower was about the different soils, but what Jesus was really driving at was not that wise people don't respond. He was really wanting to say, listen, if you do respond, there'll be a harvest of a hundredfold. It'll be wonderful, riotous, joyful. That's what's possible. Now, any questions? That's all right. Thank you. There's a nod here. We may move on. This is for you. I used to teach preaching to, to students, and I say preaching is a community event. I've offered to you what I believe Jesus said to me today, and I've offered it to you. Now, what are you going to do with it? It's up to you. Can I encourage you to say, Jesus, I, I'm not very good at this, and maybe I've been asleep for years. Jesus said, it doesn't matter. I think you can be wonderful with me. Don't let this just be words tonight. So let's have a prayer, and then we'll stand and sing. So just have a quiet prayer. If there's anything that's spoken to you from the music, the singing, the preaching, the reading, and you want to turn that into a prayer to Jesus, now's your chance. There'll just be quietness. So you can just speak to him now. Come, Holy Spirit, and nurture our prayers, our desires to be a, a real Christian, not just a make-up one. Come, Holy Spirit, Convince us that you are here and love us immensely. Come, Holy Spirit, and may we be fruitful so others' lives may be changed, so the communities in which we live may be changed, our school, our workplace, our neighbourhood. Come, Holy Spirit, and flame with light in our own dungeon whatever it is that's trapped us and is holding us back. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.